Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. My name's Josh. For those of you that don't know me, it's a real pleasure to be bringing the word tonight. Um, We're in the middle, or at the beginning, I should say, of a series going through the book of Isaiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, We've sort of set aside about 18 or so weeks to, to get through this rather large book. Uh, it's a mammoth of a book, but we're going to do that sort of week by week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Don sort of uh, opened up and, and sort of introduced uh, the book to us, the text to us. And then last week, Tyler got into things looking at the first five chapters, which isn't looking so great for the people of God, sort of in that first five chapters. Uh, just as a whole, the, the book of Isaiah uh, is a book that looks at, at judgment. God gives judgment. Uh, to his people, and then uh, kind of rounds it off with bringing hope uh, to his people. And sort of as Tyler concluded last week, this hope is that God is a father who loves his children, and and he's our father, and and he loves us. And so tonight we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 6, just kind of in the lead up to to chapter 6, the people of Israel have I guess, rejected God and rejected uh, his law. And we see uh, late in chapter 5, it reads, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, as the dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. So the people of Israel, the people of God, have really turned their backs on God. This is the God who delivered them out of Egypt, the God who, who created this world, and yet they've, they've turned their backs on God. And so God is going to bring judgment upon his people. And so tonight we're looking at, at chapter 6, which we will read in a moment. Uh, and just a, a few notes to begin on, on chapter 6. Normally... The prophets, the major prophets, especially in the Old Testament, began with a testimony of their call to vocational prophetic ministry. Uh, We see this in Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You can have a look at them uh, later on. But in Isaiah, we kind of have these first five chapters, and then we come to chapter 6, and now we find out who Isaiah is and, and what he's doing, what his place in all of this is. And often this is to show their authority uh, as a prophet of the Lord, to show that, that their words are valid as, as speaking for God to the people. The purpose in Isaiah's call, as we find in chapter 6, though, is to show that God had already cast his judgment on the people before Isaiah had come into this picture. Otto Kaiser, a... Uh, a German theologian wrote, Thus the purpose of the story of Isaiah's call with its restrained description of the vision of God is neither to give rise to speculation 
concerning the divine world above, nor merely to legitimise the prophet himself, but to testify that God's judgment was already decreed. Often readers of Isaiah, and particularly chapter 6, are, are quick to jump to what the text might tell us of the heavenly realms when we're actually missing the point of the text. So rather than looking at, at literally the words on the page, uh, I invite us tonight to, to look at the theology of the text, look at the meaning behind these words. So in a moment we're going to read chapter 6 and then we'll sort of get into things. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. So why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you for Isaiah who by your Holy Spirit has, has recorded your word for us. Lord, open your scriptures for us tonight. Open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Speak into our lives, Lord, that we might be transformed by your word into a new creation, Lord, by your spirit. Uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read Isaiah 6. It's a fair chunk, so bear with me. Uh, but let's get into it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt, has, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste, without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So we're in the year 739 BC, which is, which is the year that King Uzziah died. This is roughly 700 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah uh, has a heavenly vision, which we've just, just heard. Many scholars over the ages have believed that this vision was something that perhaps actually took place uh, in the temple in Jerusalem 
Uh, however, it has since been found uh, that, in fact, there was no throne in the temple in Jerusalem that was found. And so this, this surely is a, a, a vision of the heavenly realms. And the Lord is sitting on his throne in the temple and he's surrounded by the seraphim or, or the, the angels. And they were worshipping the Lord, glorifying his name. Holy, holy, holy. Worshipping the triune God, the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit. Though Trinitarian theology was not sort of developed at this time, uh, it doesn't... Uh, doesn't speak against the fact that the Trinity or the Godhead was, was definitely uh, in existence in eternity past and at this time in this vision. And at this, Isaiah realises that he's not worthy of being in the presence of God. He is unclean. He said in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He puts himself in the same boat as the people of Israel. The same people that for the last five chapters have uh, been in a real position of turmoil as they've, they've heard the judgment of the Lord. And he says that he is one of the people and he will be judged with them. And for this reason, Isaiah believes that he should now die as an unclean man standing before a holy God. He doesn't believe he's worthy to participate in the worship of God. That's what's happening in the heavenly place. The angels, the seraphim, are worshipping the Lord, glorifying his name. It said that there was smoke coming from the altar. This is, this is all worship. But one of the angels came to him, touched his lips with a burning coal from the altar, purifying Isaiah's lips and atoning for his sins. You might ask why this was done to his lips. And I would answer with two reasons. Firstly, so that now as, as, a, as a clean and worthy man, he might worship and glorify God with his clean lips. And secondly, because now he is to speak from his lips to the people of Israel. Now that Isaiah has been atoned for, he's given a commission, he's given a task to bring this message of judgment to an unhearing people. And we'll look a bit later at the complexity or the greatness of, of this task. Tonight I'd like to focus on, on three things or three points that we can really draw from from this text in Isaiah. And the first is that Isaiah understood or Isaiah knew the triune God as holy. We see that straight away in the description of God on his throne. It talks about the train of his robe filling the temple. Um, and this has been likened by commentators, particularly modern commentators, to the dress of a bride. When you go to a wedding, there's absolutely no mistaking who the bride is. I recently got married. This is my lovely wife, Kim, down here, for those of you that don't know. And when I got to my wedding and when she rocked up, I absolutely knew who she was. 
you know, I was there with, with my groomsmen, with the bloke standing beside me. We're pretty well looking the same. And then, you know, you have the bridesmaids and they're sort of dressed up. And then you have the bride and she's absolutely dressed to the nines. And Kim, well, you know, she was, she was hot. Like, it was her day, you know, and you could see from the way that she was dressed um, in, in, in such grandeur above her bridesmaids and above those who are witnessing with us. And it's the same in this vision that God is on his throne. He's dressed far more majestically, far more royally. Just as our wedding day perhaps was about Kim, you know, the wedding is typically about the bride, it's her day. Or so they say. <laughs> Just as it was about the bride, so too is about God in this vision. In fact, everything is about God. That is to be the focus. And we see that God is set apart. We see that he's, he's holy. But what does it mean to be holy? It means that God has a transcendent sovereignty. Those two pretty big words that don't really mean a whole lot to the everyday person. That is to say that, that he is set apart from, from everything else. He is the creator. We are the creation. God has an infinite worth, an infinite value. That's what dis distinguishes us from him. To say that God is holy is to say that God is God. His holiness is the reality of his nature and the reality of his character that define him as holy. Everything that God is and does is not determined by someone else or something else. It's determined by himself, by God. Whereas us as creatures, everything that we are, everything that we might do is determined by God, our creator. To say that the earth is full of God's glory is to say that the earth is full of the knowledge of God's holiness. The glory of God is, is the realisation of God being holy. God has revealed himself to his creation so that he might be worshipped. You know, I said earlier that it was a, a beautiful day today and, and sort of we look around at things like the weather, the, the creation around us, nature, and we can just stare and wonder at, at just its beauty. This is the glory of God around us. You know, we look at these things and, and we, we take joy and, and, and wonder when we look at these things because we know that it was God who created these things. It was God that spoke this earth into existence. But how does knowing of God's holiness actually affect our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Leads nicely to my second point. Isaiah understood his sin and could accept 
the atonement of God because he knew of God's holiness. Knowing of God's holiness causes us to realise our lack of holiness and our great need for God. And so too for Isaiah, when he saw the holiness of God, when he saw the wonder of God, you know, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the face of the holiness of God, Isaiah saw how much he needed God, how much God was set apart from him. Knowing the holiness of God causes us to realise our sinfulness and our failings, our need for a saviour. To continue quoting Kaiser from earlier, he says, the revelation of the holiness of God means at the same time the realisation of our own sinfulness. Isaiah underwent this experience of being set free to know the true deity of God and of his own creatureliness, creatureliness which comes to a Christian in hearing the word of Christ who is crucified for him. So what Isaiah experienced is what we've experienced in conversion when we become Christian. You know, we realised our need for a saviour. We realised our shortcomings and could receive the atonement of Christ, the atonement of God. When we realise our lack of holiness, it moves us to a point of, of crying out to God for salvation. Because it's not long after we realise that you know, we are unholy people, we are unclean people, that we, once we realise that, we try to get to a point of holiness or try to get to a point of cleanliness. And it's very soon after that that we work out it's not possible. It's actually not possible for us to make ourselves holy, to make ourselves worthy to stand before God. And so we cry out to God, in desperation, because only God can extend his grace to us, make us holy, give us a place to be in his presence. And because of his grace, we are gifted with a new life. With a new identity, an identity found in God. And because we who are Christians have been joined by God to God, we too can be holy and have a place in his presence. The third thing I want to draw from this text tonight is that Isaiah was called to faithfulness in dire circumstances. What are we called to be faithful to? For Isaiah, this was to deliver a message that would have very much been an unpopular message. And he said, go and say to this people, 
Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. He was called to preach judgment to God's people, though they would not hear it. And when he asked how long, God said, until there is no one left in the cities. That's a massive call. In the harshest of circumstances. And yet we know that Isaiah went on to have a ministry of 60 odd years of preaching this message of judgment. This in in a context that was, you know, he would have been, you know, cast aside. He wouldn't have been listened to. I mean, it says that the people would not have listened. They were not to listen. You know, if, if we were to measure Isaiah's ministry or, or the success of his ministry, I doubt that he would have got a gig preaching here, you know. Go and preach for 60 years to a people that's not going to listen to you. That, that doesn't seem like a successful mission. It doesn't seem like something that, you know, you'd look on to and go, yeah, he's achieved his task. Yeah, I reckon we'd get this guy. He seems to be able to motivate people to hear the word of God. And, and uh, you know, I don't know that we would measure that as successful. And yet, as unsuccessful as we might say that, is, that his task was or that his outcome was, it's not what God called him to do. God called him to preach a message to an unhearing people. And that's what he did. He was faithful. So what are we called to be faithful to? As Christians, we're called to be faithful to Jesus, called to lead a Christ-like life. Put simply, to love God, to love people, which all sounds, as I said, very easy, very simple. But once you start looking at what that looks like in our lives, you start to realise that maybe, maybe it's not so far removed from the difficulty of Isaiah's task. What does it mean to love God, to be faithful to that call? It means to let go of our desire to be the Lord of my own life, to let go of this innate pull within me to lead my own life. We know that our lives are not our own anymore. We were bought with a price. We now belong to God. And so we are to love God. We're to glorify God. If we've been made holy, if we know that God is holy, then to love God is to glorify his name, to make his name known, to devote our lives to that. 
And secondly, to love people, the people around us, which again seems like a pretty easy task until you start trying to do it. And you work out that many people, including ourselves, can be pretty hard to love, pretty difficult to love. As I said before, I recently got married and uh, I think Kim's worked out that it's pretty hard to love me. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. In loving people, you know, the, 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 the number one thing we can do to love people is to share the message of hope that we have in Jesus. You know, we talk about Isaiah and, and the judgment that he is called to bring to Israel. But with that judgment comes hope. And so too, with our judgment, you know, the, the, the judgment where we find ourselves in a position of, of death, we have hope, hope in Christ. And to love people is to share that message of hope. We're called to be faithful to repent, to realise that we don't live as we ought to. We don't make the right decisions. That we do need to make changes in our lives daily. And getting married has certainly taught me that, that every day there are changes I need to make. Every day there are things I need to reconsider how I do to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're called to be faithful in our vocation. You know, if that's uh, simply as, as, a, as a Christian, we, that's what we just talked about, but our vocation might be as a spouse or as a parent, you know, to, to love your, your spouse unconditionally to love your children unconditionally. You know, when, when situations are frustrating and the odds are against us, to be faithful to the task at hand. Perhaps we're in a leadership position, whether in churches or in a workplace. We're called to be faithful to the authority that is above us. How can one commit to such faithfulness when the temptation to give in or or the temptation to take an easier path just seems so available and accessible? It just seems so easy to not be faithful. John Piper writes, the nitty-gritty practical is this. John Piper is a sinner. This is him speaking, let's just be clear. John Piper is a sinner. Every day I am tempted to have attitudes or thoughts, to say things, to do things that are defective, hurtful, proud and selfish. What is the gospel way to slay that dragon? My answer is that sin is never performed out of duty. You only do sin because sin is lying to you, telling you that you will be happier. It will feel good. You'll have to slay that promise of pleasure with the promise of a superior pleasure. And in the end, the highest pleasure is knowing, loving and delighting in the glory of God manifests in Jesus Christ, which means it has been liberated from sin. 
Fighting to see and savour the glory of God is not only a great honour to him, it is a great liberation for the one, like you or me, battling sin every day. We're called to be faithful to the, 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 the task at hand, to, to living a Christ-like life, to the vocations that we might have. In the face of temptation, that seems like a better way to go. Do I know the holiness of God? Do I know that? Do you know that? Do we know the holiness of God? Do we know that this holiness means that we need God to intervene. Do we know that? Do we realise that? And what mission is God calling me to be faithful to? For Isaiah was preaching uh, for 60 years. For you it might just be uh, sharing Jesus with, with the people that you work with every day. It might mean faithfully teaching your children about Jesus. It might mean letting go of the desires of your heart to put the needs and wants of your spouse above yours. God's holiness means that God is set apart. God is, as I said before, the creator and we are the creatures that he's created. And if he's made us holy and given us a place in his kingdom, a place in his presence, then we too are called to be set apart, set apart from the culture that we live in, set apart from the way of this world. I want to encourage you this week to think about the things that God might be calling you to be faithful to. If you're in a discipleship group, I'd, I'd love to encourage you to talk about that this week. To really nut out what that, what that means for you every day as you walk through life, as you get up, as you go through your routines as you go to work or uni or whatever you might fill your week with, what is it that God's calling you to be faithful to? Are you being faithful? Are there things that you might need to reconsider? If there are, the good news is, is that there is grace for that. God is so gracious and gives us a fresh start each day. His mercies are abounding. In a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to uh, be reminded of God's holiness. It's only because God is holy uh, that you know, he had the capacity to extend his grace to us in sending Jesus to die for us in our place, the death that we deserved. As Isaiah cried out, cried out, woe is me, 
You know, I'm an unclean man. So too, that's our cry. We're unclean people. And God sent Jesus to die in our place. Die the death that we deserved so that we might be made holy. We might have new life. And so when we take communion tonight, we're going to remember that. Um, and I invite you, if you're, if you're a Christian, that that's what we're remembering, remembering that it was God and his holiness that meant we have life. If you're not yet a Christian here tonight, uh, I'd love for you to take this time to think about, do you, do, do you know that God is holy? Do you see his holiness? And if you do, what does that mean for you? For you? Uh, do you recognise that you have a need for Jesus? Recognise that you need uh, his grace, his, his redemption. I invite you to take this time to think about these things as we take communion. But before we do that, we'll pray. Father, we thank you that you did send Jesus to take our place. Uh, we thank you that you are a holy God, that you are the creator uh, of this, you are the creator of this world. You have given us life and redeemed us, Lord. We thank you that we have this opportunity to uh, remember that. Remember that Jesus died in our place. And Lord, as we go into this week, uh, we ask that you show us your holiness. You show us your goodness. Show us that you are set apart as creator, as the Holy One, and that we are, um, you know, we're not. We're an unclean people and we need your grace, Lord. Lord, remind us each day that it's only by your grace that we have life. And Lord, encourage us uh, as we walk through this life to be faithful to what you've called us to. Um, to be faithful to to share your gospel with the people that we share life with. Lord, we just thank you for who you are and we pray that uh, that really burns in our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.